I went for Hajj in 2003. I actually made a promise to myself that I wouldn't write anything while whilst I was on Hajj because I felt it would take away from my own journey. I needed to go for salvation, not for like songs, you know. And a couple of days in, I was in Medina. I was in the elevator. There was an old man with me, and I was in my own world. And then he taps me on my shoulder and he says, "Brother Zain, can I ask you one favor?" So I said, "Yeah, sure. Do you need anything?" He says, "While you're here in Medina, can you write a song about the Prophet Sallallahu And I said, "Okay, I'll, I'll do my best." You know, like he almost gave me permission to do so because at that point I wasn't thinking at all. You know, so I wrote "City of Medina." Then I went and I wrote probably one of the my most popular songs, "Mountains of Makkah," while I was in Makkah. I don't sing in the shower. I perform. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the One Foot in the Sink podcast. My name is Anis and Foz is here. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. And Zah is for Zain Bika, our guest today. Assalamu alaikum, rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum. Hello, my friends. Muslims. Muslims. Muslim lifestyle podcast. What do you think the podcast is about? I think it's about Muslims because you put your foot in the sink when you do a do. It's about a story called the Ghostbusters. So Foz, are you one of those who sings in the shower? I'm not. Maybe in my mind, but not out loud. My son is. I can always hear my son <laughs> humming away. <laughs> <laughs> you should record him and embarrass him later. You should have done that introduction in a singing voice. Oh yeah, yeah. So Zain, you know when we were, we were trying to introduce you, and I said Zah is for Zain Bika. We were gonna put a play on one of your famous songs, "Eyes for Allah." I was gonna yes, say yes. Um, Zah is for Zain Bika <laughs> or something like that. But you know, You've got I'm a not good a singer. Voice, man. <laughs> yeah, see, I told you, I need <laughs> to do it. <laughs> uh, no, no. Maybe for the after edits, yeah. So Zain, what about you? You you one who sings in the shower? No, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's my it's my it's my business to sing <laughs> wherever I can. Actually, so that's I'm where your like greatest that. hits were made. Yeah. <laughs> and you know the, the the nice thing about singing in the shower is that it's got you know the echo, the natural echo, so your voice sounds way better. Oh wow! I didn't think of that. <laughs> I'm gonna start now. <laughs> All right, guys, are you guys ready for this episode's opening question? Yes, excited yeah. about it. Okay, so this week's opening question is: You can create any rule or law to eradicate poverty. What would it be? So, as usual, I'm going to start with Foz. So, my rule or law that I would introduce would be that I would get every year you'll have a list of the top ten richest people in the world, and then you would put them into poverty for. A year, so they get a sense of what it's like to actually live in poverty, and then at the end of it, the hope would be that they contribute and make a difference to poverty. So that would be the driving, and everyone has to follow it. So and it's a whole year. I was thinking about six months, six weeks, but then I think you know you might not get a real feel of what it's like to actually you know struggle for food. Or maybe they can implement something or make a change because they're obviously driven people. They've got to where they are. That would be my. Change. So that's exactly the same answer that I was going to go for. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> There used to be a TV show back in the UK about these bosses of these companies who would go undercover yeah. as uh, average employees of the company at, at lower levels, and then they'll see what the employees will think of senior management. So my answer was going to be exactly the same as yours. So take like some really really rich guy or girl and send them somewhere where you know. Their conditions are a lot, lot different to what they're used to, and then see how they experience it, and then hopefully they come out of it with a um, solution. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but you still got to come up with a different answer. So no, that's my. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you can't get out. Of it. Start thinking on the spot. So hopefully, then you have a very long answer, so I can think of uh, mine <laughs> while you're saying yours. Yeah. Oh my word! Well, I think after after listening to his amazing concept, I like that actually a lot. Mine just seems. We can, okay, okay. So I had I have two ideas. One idea is on a bigger scale. I mean, if we really introduce zakah, you know, on a global scale, you know, every year I work out my zakah during Ramadan, and when I look at the numbers, I know in my heart, if I wasn't Muslim, I wouldn't be giving away that much money. <laughs> Mashallah. So true, Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Because we could get away with like taxable income or you know whatever crazy thing we get away with. But Alhamdulillah, so I I personally think yes that that would help. The other thing, which may sound a bit silly, but I think it makes a difference in my home, is that no one is allowed to waste any food. We should like have a law against like if you dish out or you order something, you've got to finish your food. And that may help just in terms of be- making people more responsible for what they consume. Yeah, and it's such a problem nowadays, and I completely agree with you. We get so food so easily and. If you don't like it, you just throw it away. You're like I'm always trying to instill it in my son. But yeah, they're good answers. 
They had two. I learned this from my friend Dowd Wonsby. He's like that. Whenever we were on tour, he'd lose his mind when there'd be food lying around. So I, I try to do that with my boys as well. So I, I totally hear you. It's a challenge. Yeah. So look, you've had two answers. It would be good to see what Anise comes <laughs> up with. So technically, we had three answers, right? So that's usually what you go for. No, 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 no. <laughs> so my answer has pretty much stayed the same. I was trying to rack my brain a little bit to come up with a new answer in such a short amount of time. But uh, yeah, I'll stick to my answer for us. Joint answer. Oh, okay. We'll let Anise get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's move to the introductions. So I'm going to introduce our guest today. Zane, thank you so much for coming on the show. No, I must thank you guys. Really, uh, it's a great honor for me to be part of the show. Alhamdulillah, thank you. Before we begin, I'm going to briefly read your profile for our listeners. So you're a renowned singer and songwriter performing Islamic nasheeds. You began your illustrious career 25 years ago, and since then you have released 13 albums. Alhamdulillah. You have collaborated with numerous artists such as Native Dean, Outlandish, and Yusuf Islam. If someone was to Google Islamic nasheeds, your nasheeds will most likely come out on top. Many people listening right now may have grown up listening to your nasheeds, ourselves included. In 2005, you created your own label, Zane Bika Studios, based in South Africa. The label aimed to provide a platform for local and international talent. You also engage in talking to the youth to motivate them to utilize their creative talents for the benefit of society and itself. This bio doesn't do justice to the amazing achievements, alhamdulillah. So today on the show, we want to cover your journey as an Ashid artist, the impact your music has had on the Muslim Ummah, the challenges of creating new music, staying fresh, and how you've been able to spread a message of peace with the platform you have been given. So before we start jumping into all all of that. Tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you from? About you, your upbringing? Yeah, well, alhamdulillah, I'm, I've been born and bred in South Africa. So uh, I loved you all my life. It's actually interesting because South Africa, of course, uh, my heritage, my great-great-grandfather came from India. But uh, because we've been here for so many generations already, the Indians first were brought here by the British, actually, 150 years ago. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> alhamdulillah, so, so we very much consider ourselves South African. And uh, I grew up in a home with three sisters, so I'm the only son. And I think, personally, I always think that's like one of the biggest positive influences that I've had is growing up with sisters. Because women, um, you know, they allow the home to be expressive. And my sisters were always writing poetry. And I think, uh, I think boys, you know, <laughs> I think there's a, like a unspoken pressure on boys not to express themselves and to be tough and to keep all their feelings inside. Yeah. You know? So I was very fortunate to growing up with sisters. I was very used to, you know, expressing myself and that really helped me a lot. So Alhamdulillah, I had a, I had a wonderful childhood and growing up. Yes, it was the strangest thing growing up was growing up in South Africa when there was apartheid, when there was separation of, of the races. So yeah, I, I guess that translates a lot in my songs and in my world and life view. But just in terms of the closed world that we had, it was actually a wonderful world, you know. Wow, alhamdulillah. That's really interesting because I was the opposite. I've got two older brothers. It was very competitive, tough, and I'm going to win, or I'm going to win, or I want this, I want that. Nothing creative between us. No, and, and, and I think growing up, all I ever wanted was a brother. You know, I felt so left out a lot of the times when, especially when my sisters would be together and then you know, I wasn't included. But alhamdulillah, I, and actually that leads me to, to one of the big momentous things that allowed me to start singing is yeah, at a very young age, I met a guy, I think we were both five years old in madrasa we used to go and he became my best friend and he was like my brother you know and um i grew up with him and we did everything together in school high school and then when we were both just 18 years old he he got shot in johannesburg and he passed away and that was one of like the that was one of the the turning points in my life you know that's actually the same year that i started i started singing islamic songs or songs that are based on my faith so that actually you know maybe if i if i grew up with brothers i wouldn't have taken the relationship so seriously so I guess it all, it's all part of Allah's plan. You know? It's really interesting hearing that. I was always curious, what kind of inspired you when you were young? And it sounds like, you know, that atmosphere of having your sisters there and them being creative, you seeing that, and then like you said, your friendship. Alhamdulillah. And, and you know, the, the other thing that I think was different in my household compared to, like, let's say my peers, like I had a lot of friends. And even though we grew up in a very close society, my parents were very, very different. So they always allowed us to, you know, they used to take us to the theater and to watch live plays and they'd always be singing in our house. So it was, I guess, very untypical of 
Indian parents, you know, like we're creative arts and so not top of the agenda. Yeah. It's quite rare, yeah. You mentioned apartheid and, you know, there's a lot being said about apartheid in South Africa and a lot of movies being made about it as well. And you also mentioned that, you know, you're third generation Indian in South Africa. So not many people know about the number of Indians that live in South Africa. So I'm just curious, like, what was it like during that time being an Indian in South Africa? What side of the fence would Indians be on? Because that's not something you hear about quite a lot in, in the West anyway. It is a very interesting dynamic and, and I think that's why our generation and especially my dad's generation and their generation before them, they had it much worse. But I think colour and race is, is very much a part of our psyche because the apartheid government were very smart. They layered it. So yes, they had, of course, the ruling party, which was which were essentially white people or European people. And then they had everybody else of colour classified. So they had, you know, Indians or Asians, and then they had what we call coloreds, which are actually mixed race. And then they had indigenous Africans, who they call blacks. And, and because they created this weird, completely unnatural system, they separated everyone in the area. So when I grew up, my school was only Indian or Asian kids, you know, that's like, we were only allowed to live together. And then right next door to us, there was an area that was reserved for coloreds, and then there was an area reserved for blacks. So it was, it was yeah. very, very strange. I remember coming to the UK in 1999 and it was the first time i ever saw a white person empty out the trash can like you know working as a as a streets uh, like a street cleaner wow, wow. and my mind was just i lost my mind i was like this it was the saddest thing i ever saw because i was engineered to look at a white person mm -hmm. as more superior so it was very very strange and and i think yeah. we're still haunted by all those ideologies you know but interestingly coming back to what you were saying not many people realize that indians and people of all different colors played a very, very big role in the anti-apartheid struggle. So like Nelson Mandela was kept in, in Robben Island and right next door, there was a Muslim Indian guy, Ahmed Katrada, and he's, you know, he was also incarcerated for an equally long time. Even though our population numbers were very small, but I think we did really play a big role, which is, as you say, quite forgotten, I think, you know. Yeah. It's really fascinating hearing that the history and the background. I never thought of it from like an Indian or a Muslim background. But I guess that's the start of your journey. Like you've seen quite a lot. So for you, like when did Nasheed start? What was your journey in going to Nasheed? Was it always Nasheed or was it music in Nasheed? How did it all start for you? But in high school, like I used to be singing all the time. I just love singing. So <laughs> I would listen to like R&B and Michael Jackson, boys to men, you know, singing all this kind of. And, and that's the only training Michael I had, Jackson. by the way. Yeah. yeah, I know. I, well, in the 80s, you know, you can't grow up in the 80s and not listen to Michael Jackson. <laughs> Yeah, same as that was my childhood. I used to have it on like even R and B. Yeah, Foz used to do the moonwalk. I did. Well, I, but my parents used to get me to perform. <laughs> I, I could never, I could never dance. I'm sorry, like I don't have a coordinated bone in my body. But I had the jacket though. You know the crazy thriller red jacket. Yeah. yeah my mom yeah. and dad got me that jacket. Oh wow! Your mom and dad sounds so cool, man. Mashallah. <laughs> you know they encouraged me because it was very strange because I I used to I used to sing a lot. I loved I loved to sing, and I never really had any formal musical training but I just that's all I had I used to listen to cassettes in the radio and I would sing and sing until I could sound as good as as what I could possibly sound like you know so that's the only musical training that I had growing up so there was no music school or singing you know and there was no internet or YouTube so all we had was just the songs from the radio and alhamdulillah and then it was only when my friend passed away in 1994 so 25 years ago when you know even though I grew up in a Muslim home and I was always Muslim in terms of my identity, but I still feel that at some point in your life, you choose to be a certain way, you choose to live a certain way. And it really hit me that, hold on, you know, if, if, if my friend who was also 18 and Allah took him back, you know, so if we could lose, leave this world in such a, any, at any stage, my mind was really battling to reconcile it because I was with him and then he went out and he never came back. Like it was as simple as that. So one of the first few songs I wrote was Give Thanks to Allah. And then I wrote a few more songs. I remember your smile because his mom was telling me that she missed his smile the most. That, that's when my parents really encouraged me. They said, why don't you make a cassette? So that's what I did. And I, I had zero expectation. I was only doing it because it was a way for me to express myself. And, uh, you know, to a large extent, whatever has happened to me over these 25 years, speaking to you guys now, you know, you on the other end of the world, alhamdulillah, none of this was ever in my plans. I just was doing something that I thought would help me first and foremost. Wow. It's amazing how Allah works, right? It's such a tragic thing when someone's so young, but then the path is set someone on and the initial trigger that it gave you, it's made it so 
amazing and powerful. And that's a good point that you just mentioned because I've often wondered about that. Like, had had I not been like gone, going through that tragedy, would I have? I, I I really don't think I would have done this. You know? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. So, where did those tapes that you made? Where did they end up? Well, you know, I was looking around actually in my studio. I found one of the old little tapes. So we made like yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. We oh, made like oh, wow. a couple of hundred copies of this. That's amazing. And uh, it was the first time I actually saw my name on something. Like I never saw my name on a product yeah, yeah. before. The, at that time, remember this was 25 years ago. So there was zero available in English about Islam, like anything, yeah. anything cultural or musical or songs. It was only Arabic or Urdu. Yeah. And of course, like many children growing up in a, in a non-Muslim country or in a Western country, or they don't really you know understand those languages. So even though the cassette, the recording is probably very bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I had no I had no idea what I was doing. But I think it was the fact that it was so different and we gave it out to friends and family and then somehow this little cassette made its way to, to Yusuf Islam all oh, the wow. way in England. And wow. that, that was really my big break. Like when he came across this cassette and he was looking to do A's for Allah yeah. and he didn't want to sing it himself for some reason. And uh, there was only two names that came up because it was me from South Africa and then Dawood Wonsby from Canada who was doing something similar in on the other part of the world. So um, I was so, so fortunate that they invited me to the UK, Alhamdulillah, and, and uh, that's that's when my, my songs had became more, in, you know, an international audience, you know. Wow. I've got some questions here because this is such a wonderful <laughs> story. So the initial tape that you recorded, where was it recorded? In a studio? At home? Like where, where did you make that recording? I was 19. So I was working at the time with my dad. We just came from work and he said, listen, so I have this friend who knows another friend who's got the small little recording studio. And look, it's not as easy as it, as it is now. Nowadays, yeah. you've got software. That time it was, it was some serious stuff. So I was like, <laughs> uh, and, I, and to be honest, I had the songs in my head, but I didn't really want to record. So, and I remember him telling me, look, please, you know, just go, it'll be fun, you know? And that's, that's really, that's what it, that was it. And, and I, I went, I'd spent about two hours there. I, like I sang all the songs. And then about a week later, they gave me all these cassettes. And I was like, wow. Subhanallah, that's how it all began. Do you have any idea how it ended up to Yusuf Islam? You know, Yusuf, uh, Yusuf Islam was coming to South Africa quite a lot. And um, I have a feeling that, you know, during his visits, either my dad or some, someone in my family came and gave him the cassette. But I, had, I hadn't met him up until the time that I met him in the UK. I was very, very fortunate. And again, you know, like, as you say, like Allah has a plan. And sometimes all these small little things happen in only when you see the bigger picture do you realize that there was a plan for it all along, subhanAllah. So it's, it's, it's really remarkable. Did you know who Yusuf Islam was at the time? You know, I, I had heard a lot of his stuff. I actually also grew up on a bootleg version of Ace Fala at school. And I used to listen to this cassette. <laughs> and, and we heard, of course, the, the story about this guy who had fame and money. And he was like, like a superstar. And then he gave it all up in, he, in his journey to Islam. And it was very, very remarkable. I didn't really know too much of his Cat Stevens songs, ex except for like some of the popular ones. It was only afterwards, after I met him, I came back and I started listening to his Cat <laughs> Stevens stuff as well. Just to get my head around like who I was dealing with you know but subhanallah it was it's quite really remarkable I, I have a lot to be thankful for and especially for for use of islam to have given me the opportunity you know looking back into your story it seems that your parents as well like you know your father taking you down to the recording studio without you even asking him presenting the idea to you that's quite an amazing opportunity there you know, it's so it's so interesting you say that because I really, I can't stress that enough. Had I been in any other family, they would have just said, like, stop this nonsense that, you, that you're doing, you know? And I think they saw that I was going through some struggle. And, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm almost 45 now, right? And uh, I work with my dad and I was having this conversation with him earlier today because we still have a business, a family business. And just earlier this year, he was telling me, and he said, look, you know, you must always do what you love. Always, always do what you love. And you've been given an opportunity to, to have the ability to inspire others. And he even said, you know, if the business, even if it's doing well, really dedicate more of your time towards something that has a greater purpose. So to have your parents telling you that is quite, is quite rare, you know. Yeah, quite visionary. Yeah, alhamdulillah. And I'm curious, so then uh, he had your tape, got in touch with you. What was that first time you met him like? like how was it meeting Yusuf Islam for the first time? You know, I, I even remember the moment because he contacted me through a brother from, from the UK who was managing his studio at the time, Mountain of Light Studios. So I was only speaking to, to the brother. And when, when we landed and I went to the hotel and I, and I was staying there. And, you know, to be honest, up until that point, I had no experience in a professional environment. So I was 
scared. I was totally <laughs> scared. Like I was, I almost had the idea that what if like I was exposed, like as a fake, like this guy doesn't know actually anything. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. <laughs> like I was wondering, like just now they'd realize, oh my God, this guy doesn't, like he doesn't know what he's doing. But anyway, then Yusuf came one afternoon, the day after I arrived and I was walking down the steps and I saw him and I, uh, I greeted him. I said, you know, uh, it's such an honor. And he said, no, it's Alhamdulillah. He was so chilled and so relaxed. Again, you know, he's he's just one of the individuals in the world who, subhanAllah, has a great vision. And he taught me so much. In studio, He he's a perfectionist, you know. I can see why he was so iconic because he's like really, really serious about his art. And I learned that a lot from him. Like I learned from him the ability to really push yourself and don't expect don't don't like just don't live with mediocrity you know what i mean like sometimes you know you can get away with something it's not perfect but it's okay but he wasn't like that at all like he would redo it and work it and over the years when i worked with him even when he came to south africa i realized oh my god this man was that's what really makes that yeah, defines you difference and, and many, many people don't, don't see that, you know, they, they, only, they only hear the song or they see the video and they don't realize like the kind of work ethic and obsession and passion that goes into something. It's far beyond what you actually imagine. Yeah, it's really interesting you said that, and well, I want to go further into that in a bit. But um, and so, when when did you start seeing things change for you? When did you notice that you know this is actually huge, it's big, and it's making a difference, and uh, you're going to continue to pursue it? And the switch changed to just that tape to something as it's a profession now. You know, it was almost it was almost instantaneous because again, even internationally, there wasn't there wasn't much available. So. You know, it, it, it all happened and uh, Alhamdulillah, the Mountain of Light Studios, Yusuf Islam, started a cultural label and they said, look, let's promote the sort of Islamic songs, but in English. And I was one of the first artists, you know, that, that they promoted. And uh, so then, then the first place we went to was the UK because that was where... You know, Yusuf was based and we started doing tours. And I remember at that time it was with an organization called Young Muslims and they were doing some lecture tours. And, you know, those days it used to be a really well-known scholar who was going around and giving people advices. And then in between, they'd maybe call someone like me up and they said, look, why don't you sing us a song? So it's very different to now, like the Nasheed concerts of like the big scale of what we see. Those yeah, days, yeah. it was a lot of school visits. You know, I love to visit schools. You'd go into a school and you'd sing for the kids and they'd be happy. And it was really like, that was it. That was it, what it was all about. So instantaneously, that's, that's what started happening. And I started traveling to parts of Europe. And then I started recording a lot more professionally. So, so that, that really, really helped, you know. I remember um, me and my brothers and my cousins, it was during one of the Eids, Eid al-Fitr, that uh, one of my elder cousins got us all tapes of your album, the one you mentioned, you would use it from A for Allah. Yes. The tape was being played on repeat the whole time because for us, you know, growing <laughs> up in England, it's the first time we've ever heard something like this, you know, Islamic song in English and it's something that we could relate to as well and a bit educational as well at the same time. You could see there's a theme behind your motivation there. And then you mentioned, you know, subsequently you had many more albums coming up. And, and, and you know, let's, let's also not forget, like, this was an amazing song. I mean, for someone to have taken the Arabic alphabet and like poetically... I mean, you could see he was on a major journey of faith, like he was learning about Islam, but he used all his knowledge in the Arabic alphabet. Like every time I sing that song, even till today, I mean, I've been singing it for over 20 years now. I still <laughs> find it, subhanAllah, like as a composition, the melody, the lyrics. This was genius from my perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, I had this this huge um, benchmark to live up to. And Alhamdulillah, I mean, it was because of his guidance as well that over the years I, I was also able to write songs that inspire others. But for me, Ace for Allah is the benchmark. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is that I listened to it when I was young. And then now I have a son. He's eight years old. And I can still play the same song to him. And then he enjoys the song as well. Because, you know, at the same time, you can learn the alphabet in Arabic as well. Yeah. It's a really strange feeling for me because it's the same song that I was listening to when I was young. Now he's listening to it as well. And I mean, you must get that quite a lot. No, I, I do. I do. And and I find that just like an enormous blessing because normally, like, I think there is a, a life cycle to things to, especially in this modern world where everything changes and it's everything is like bubblegum. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I get that so much like young parents like yourselves and, and you say, look, you, you may have been like 15 or 16 and now you maybe 26, 28 or you've got a child of your own. And um, for me, it's like, that's just such a blessing. Like, we don't earn the talent Allah gives us. We don't earn it. We don't work towards it. We just get it for free. Whatever Allah has given you, 
whatever talent, whatever unique ability or whether it's an emotion, whatever intellect, we just get it. It's really up to us what we do with it. But even that, we still can't control the outcome. So when the outcome is good, we only have to be exceptionally thankful and we can't really say, I did this or I earned this or whatever the case may be because it's all from Allah. So like for me, after 25 years, I still can't believe everything that has happened to me because like I was was singing in the shower, I was singing at home, I was was singing in my school and now I go out and kids come up to me and they say, oh, you know, we like your songs. And when I started, they probably weren't even born, you know? So subhanAllah, like it's all a blessing. You've kept it fresh because you've released countless albums and each album, it seems like there's a theme underlined in each album. Could you just dwell on that a little bit more as an artist, as you're trying to find new, fresh ideas? What inspiration would you dwell on? Because I know your first album, you said it was your relationship with your friend that you had who sadly passed away. But then your subsequent albums, like where were you able to gain your inspiration from? I think if I look back at all the albums I've done, it's really just, it follows my journey as a human being. So at that time, like when I started, my knowledge was, I still, my knowledge is still very limited, but it was worse then, you know? So I, I sang like simple songs, like Give Thanks to Allah, or the Eid song, or I Remember Your Smile. Mm. And then the first official album that we did after, you know, with Yusuf Islam was an album called Faith. And on there was a song about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I just came back from Umrah and I was very, very inspired. You know, I went up to the cave of Hira and I was just, I was on a really beautiful learning journey, you know. And then the next album is Our World. The world was changing. It was 2001. War was breaking out in many parts of the world. Everyone was confused and, you know, so... Like that song reflected my thoughts. Like I was praying for a better world for all of us, for our children. I sing a song that was more socially conscious, like orphan child, talking about orphan children. And then the the very next big leap for me personally was I went for Hajj in 2003. And when I came back, I had, I didn't really mean it because I actually made like a promise to myself that I wouldn't write anything whilst I was on Hajj because I felt it would take away from my own journey. And that wasn't the purpose. Like I I wanted, I needed to go for salvation, not for, (laughs) not for like songs, you know. And um, when just like a couple of days in, I was, we were in Medina. I was in the elevator. There was an old man with me and I was in my own world. And then he taps me on my shoulder and he says, Brother Zain, can I ask you one favor? So I said, yeah, sure. Do you need anything? He says, um, while you're here in Medina, can you write a song about the Prophet and uh, I said, okay, I'll, I'll do my best, you know. Like he almost gave me permission to do so because at that point I wasn't thinking at all, you know. And uh, so I wrote City of Medina. Then I went and I wrote probably one of the, my most popular songs, Mountains of Makkah, while I was in Makkah. So Alhamdulillah, if, if I look back at all the albums, all the songs, over a hundred songs that I've actually released and so many more songs that I've written, I think there's a thread of just an ordinary guy who just goes through experiences and, you mm. know, whether it's loss or whether it's faith or whether it's heightened like my my relationships with my children i wrote a song called forever i wrote a song slowly slow i wrote songs for my mom and my dad i guess i would love for when somebody listens to it and tells me that look this is really an account of the emotions that i went through as a human being i wasn't trying to write i was just experiencing and then i was kind of like you know i believe that's what art is about like putting a piece of your soul into something and saying to the world this is who i am that's what I truly believe art is about. It's fascinating hearing about it. So you've kind of touched on the journey and what the movie is about. So what about the difficulties? Because we always get to see you're having a concert, you're making a difference. What about that hard stuff? You know, what kind of challenges do you face today as a Nasheed artist? Well, you know, the thing is that personally, I think the hardest thing that, I've, that I deal with is, you know, Allah doesn't speak about many professions in the Quran. Mm. But he speaks about the poets and that scares, <laughs> it scares me so much. You can't imagine. Allah speaks about the poets, those who, who speak but don't act on it. And they travel through the valleys and they, and they say a lot of things, you know. But Allah also speaks about the poets who do righteous good deeds, etc. Yeah. And I always pray whenever I read that verse that I pray that I am, you know, because ultimately that's what I do. I, mean, I write songs which are essentially poems. But um, with that comes with a lot of responsibility. So I think the hardest thing that I face is trying to remain true to myself, but also trying to remain true to the message that I'm giving. So I, I don't want to pretend that I'm, you know, somebody that I'm not. And I don't want to pretend that I'm perfect, far from it. But I also want to 
give the best of myself and this is all about me. I'm going to be standing before Allah alone. And, and yet I think that the person who's benefited the most from all of this has been me, like beyond anybody else. People can say, oh, you know, your songs have inspired me. But really the guy who was allowed to travel and meet people and learn and try to become a better human being was me. So on the one hand, I can only be grateful. You know, like everything else, like the hard work, you know, when you love what you do, then you never work a day in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're... The traveling does come in. It does affect my time with my family. So that's that's always difficult, especially when I was traveling a lot, like four or five years ago. So there's always sacrifices that my wife and my kids and my you know my parents have to make. Other than that, you know, when you have so little expectation, everything is a bonus. So <laughs> Alhamdulillah, whatever happens to me, whatever has happened for me, I can only be like really eternally grateful. It's amazing what you said, the fear that you had, the example that you use about the poetry and staying true to yourself. That's, that's a really good point, actually. It's more like practice what you preach type of mentality. And especially, especially for what we're doing, like what I'm doing. Sometimes I feel there's more honesty in being a rock and roll artist, right? <laughs> because you get to talk about all the bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, you, you go on stage, you sing a whole lot of crap, and yeah, then you yeah. come off stage and then you do it, right? <laughs> At least you know who you are and you know what you're doing. Whereas with us, people don't necessarily love us. They love the Prophet ﷺ. They have so much love for him. They love their religion. They love their creator. They love everything that their religion brings to them. It could really be me, it could be anybody up there saying these words, but it's because the connection they have with their faith. And that can be so deceiving because if we start internalizing that and start thinking that, that it's us, like we the ones who've done this and we the ones who are so popular, I think that's going to be the downfall. Like you've got to realize that this is all just a gift and because your faith and your your, your music is, is intertwined. So this is what you're singing, you, you're using your talent, but also it's about your faith. Like it's not a game. You can't play around with it. You've got to be, you've got to be sure when you go up on stage that you're not going to be hypocritical in any way. And yes, like I, we all flawed, like we all so imperfect, but at least it's about doing your best. And th yeah, I think that's always the hardest challenge. Like yeah. there's so many young people who come up to me and they say, oh, Zayn, you know, we want to do songs. And I said, Alhamdulillah, good, great. You know, use the talent Allah has given you. But the most important thing is just purify why you're doing this. It's not just in just the singing. It's everything we do in life. Like really break apart your why. Why are you doing this? Because the biggest lies are the ones we tell ourselves. Yeah. We could say, oh, I'm doing it for Allah's sake, but we're watching our YouTube hits and we're saying, oh, you know. <laughs> that's so true. You know, we've got to be, we've got yeah, to be honest. And I think that's such amazing advice and I've started doing that more. I read a book, I can't remember which one, but everything I do and I now question the why, like, why do I want to do this? What is the purpose of me going through this and actually doing that? What does it come back to? And it really changes my mind in a lot of things that I kind of start doing or putting myself in even this podcast right it sometimes gets a very very hard and be quite honest like this, this is a lot of work we have to put in because you, you know there's nothing there there's not that reward or monetary reward or your dunya things that you're looking at but when you go back to it you look at it you know why are we doing this and the purpose is you know we want, For to, the share YouTube hits. We want to get out there yeah, <laughs> that's why we're not on YouTube. <laughs> but yeah, so it, I think that's amazing advice and I definitely can relate to that. And you know what, what you just said now takes so much courage. It takes courage because to discover your why, you need to have exceptional self-awareness because you're the only one who knows your why. Nobody else can tell you. So it requires self-awareness and it requires courage to be able to really say, because, okay, let's take a young teenager who's about to post a pic on Instagram. And you say like, why are you posting that pic? Well, I don't know. I just felt kind of like it, whatever the case may be. I don't know why, you know. But that's because we live like that. We're too afraid to face it. And it requires that courage and the truth within us and self-awareness. And that's why I firmly believe the first hadith that we learn is every action will be based on our intention because our intention, our why will define the merit in, in the eyes of Allah, will define the outcome, you know. And, and like you're saying, you know, it's such an interesting thing that you said now because you, you've been doing this, you guys have been doing this podcast for a while. But yeah. just because you had a why doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be renewed. Like, especially with success, alhamdulillah, you know, when you fail, <laughs> you have much less challenges. <laughs> when you do well, you have to renew your purpose. You have to renew it and say, what was the reason I started this in the first place? And go back to that somehow. Alhamdulillah. This is so powerful. I completely agree. Zain, you've built this amazing platform where you get to share your words with the rest of the world. Outside of making songs, um, what do you do outside of your passion or singing? 
We mentioned in the intro a platform, Zain Beaker Studios, where you give opportunities to local talents and international talents and you do workshops, you know, you go to school and you speak to school children. Could you just elaborate a little bit on that about what your passions are outside of singing? You know, not many people know that Zainbika Studios is completely non-profit. So it's a work of, and again, Alhamdulillah, my father gave me that advice. He said, look, you're, you're lucky. You're so fortunate that you have a job. We've got a business and that pays the bills. So if you're going to do this, that's your passion, then don't do it for a living. You know, Alhamdulillah, you've got an income. So Zainbika Studios from the very beginning was a work of, so everything goes into either like into our projects or Alhamdulillah, we try to support bursary funds or, you know, we try to work with organizations like Islamic Relief, etc. So everything that I do creatively, every single CD, every single cassette, every single show, every single thing, download, whatever goes towards our wakaf, which is it's, it's wonderful for me because it doesn't put me under pressure that I have to chase something because for, for income. And I know a lot of my friends, my close friends. They do this for a living, so they have no choice. Like they have to sometimes take shows and they have to travel a little too much or they have to do something that they may not really always have their heart in it. So I've always had that luxury, alhamdulillah. So yes, I have I have a business with my dad and um, I've got, of course, my family. And so the creative projects from writing songs to recording them to producing them, making videos. And then we've started with children's books now. I visit, I still visit a lot of schools. I visit at least two or three schools a month, especially here in South Africa, where I, I just go and sing for the kids. And to be honest, I love that the most. That's so cool. If you had to offer me like to be singing like in front of thousands of people or just singing in front of like 20 kids, like in a school, I would choose the school. <laughs> because wow. like you really interact with them on a one-on-one. You learn so much from them. I also have these workshops that I, that I do called Ace, the Art of Creative Expression. So I think one of the biggest challenges that our youth face today is, and I guess it, it applies to us irrespective of age actually, is the question of just identity, like who are we? And like just being proud of who you are. The lesson I tell kids, like the first thing I tell them is one of the biggest challenges you're going to have in your life is just being happy with the way Allah made you. Allah does not make mistakes. Allah is, is perfection. So when you look in the mirror, you think, oh man, I wish I could be different or I wish I had this, or I wish I, whatever. But Allah loves you just the way you were made because he made you. So Allah doesn't make mistakes. So that's what I try to encourage young people, older people as well, just to be proud of themselves. We can't always, not we can't, we actually, we definitely don't control much in the world and we don't control much of what happens to us many many times yeah all we have really is our reaction and the way our perception of the world so what's in our control is us how do we react to daily challenges daily happiness you know daily moments of contentment daily moments of, of real struggle it's just our reaction and that's what we'll be we'll be judged on so just to like really believe that allah loves us allah believes in us allah made us perfect and Allah's never going to give us something that's too hard for us to bear. Yeah. Well, you said you love singing in front of kids. So if you're ever in Canada and Toronto, <laughs> let me know. I'm going to bring you to my son's. You can sing in front of Fazas. He's a big kid. Oh, yeah, and me. Yeah, I don't care. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> but you can go to my son's madrasa. No, I'd love that. And you can sing I absolutely. Love. I mean, it is, it is kind of, you know, I mean, of course, over the years, I've, I've sung many songs that are perfect for kids, I guess. But then, of course, I've, you know, I, I thought I made songs, a lot of songs that were also a little bit more mature. Like the whole of the Mountains of Mecca album or Zamiluni or songs like, you know, Our World or mom and dad. But um, the last few albums I've been making have been very sort of deceivingly children's songs. Like they sound like a children's song, like let's say Allah made everything yeah. or Cotton Candy Sky. But I think it has a greater purpose, which sometimes I battle with because now when I go to school, the kids just come and say, oh, Zane, sing Hey Little Fish, Hey Little Fish. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm 45 years old and I'm singing Hey Little Fish, you know? And I, don't know whether, <laughs> I don't know at what point it just becomes weird. Like, I, maybe I should tell myself, okay, now you're too old to sing that song. I'll tell you when it becomes weird, when you have someone like first coming to you and say, hey, Zane, sing me Hey Little Fish. That's, that's weird. Like, if an adult comes to you and asks you for a kid's song to sing directly to the adult. <laughs> you know, Dawood Dawood once we had that a couple of years ago. He was like, yeah, you know, these, you know, like, I mean, 30 year olds coming and saying, hey, sing for me, the blue sky is blue. You know, like, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> no, but Alhamdulillah, I, th I think it's a, it's a blessing. Like, anybody who comes up to you and says that your words have inspired them, you can only be grateful to that. Yeah, of course. We usually have a tip section where we ask you for some tips from a listener's point of view. But I have a bit of a selfish request for a tip. As you are a vocal artist, and when you get into a recording studio, you need to warm up your vocal cords. So um, what's your routine? 
Well, firstly, I'm terrible at this because, you know, the pros, like the guys who do this for a living, they have like a proper regime, like they, they'll do the scale, you know, like, like over and over and over again, just to warm up their voice. Now, I don't do any of this. And that's why when I have like suddenly back to back shows, my voice takes a lot of strain. So mm. yeah, the, the thing I would encourage you to do is definitely don't drink too much cold things. Honey water works amazingly well. Really practice your scales, like start in a deep voice and just like follow like do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, you know, that kind of thing. Let's do a couple now. One for Anise and one for me. So give, <laughs> give, give Anise something to do first. <laughs> well, if you start in a deep voice, like... Go on, how's that okay now it's much easier when you're following the piano chords or if you do like but if you just do i'll do that one then yeah well it's close it's close not close you can tell our pitch is way off no you know what it's it's very difficult when when you don't have like um a rhythm. Like whether it's a metronome or like a xylophone or something. Yeah. So even with kids, you know, when I'm in school, then I'm trying to teach them a note or something. It's very difficult. But alhamdulillah, I mean, I should be better at it. I lost my voice so many times. Like I was in Ivory Coast once. I was doing a big show and my voice just died. Oh, wow. So I'm probably not the one who should be speaking too much about looking after their voices. For our next episode, Nis, let's get a little piano and we can both warm yes. ourselves up. <laughs> <laughs> when you went to Ivory Coast and you lost your voice, how did you improvise? Oh, you know, it was, look, it happened to me in the States actually a couple of years ago as well. And I had to cancel a few events, like uh. two or three days. The Ivory Coast was just because the show was on the Saturday night and I lost my voice on like on the Tuesday, Wednesday. So I just took as many herbal remedies. Anything that anybody mm. told me that was going to work, I was just dosing myself. And alhamdulillah, I barely, I recovered just in time. I, my, my voice wasn't strong, but I survived the concert. Yeah, because also, you know, the other thing, like there were a lot of people there. They obviously paid money to be there. So you feel there's a huge obligation so yeah. yeah a lot of stress yeah i can imagine yeah so let's move on to some tips for our listeners now you've already touched on some of this already in terms of what you've seen with people and some advice for them there's been some amazing advice already throughout the episode so i think we've got loads of things already but one thing i was curious about with your platform that you've got for local international talent you know what kind of characteristics or things are you seeing now with a lot of young people coming through you know what advice would you have for them like if they want to be in the sheath artist or do something within music you know what are you seeing a lot of now that you never saw maybe before or maybe something people need to change their mindsets or something like that oh yeah you know you're right i mean now it's it's quite amazing that there's so much talent out there and so much talent where, where people can actually have the avenue and the outlet to do something with it so whether it's because of technology we've got youtube we've got facebook we've got instagram which we can record a song and release it within seconds you know which is i mean it, like back to the tapes <laughs> it wasn't possible 25 years ago yeah and, and everybody who does it brings their own style so alhamdulillah variety is what we need because everybody not everyone's going to listen to my stuff so maybe they like somebody else so the advice i would say is do it you know do it because you love it don't do it for any other reason and i know it's very difficult you know when i started one of the biggest advantages is there was no benchmark so we had nothing to look forward to like myself and Dowd wants be like our intentions were a lot easier to keep pure because there was no youtube or anything now you want to do a song and then you go onto youtube and you see all these artists and their millions of views and you think oh that's the benchmark. Well, there is no benchmark. Even if one person listens to your song and loves it, then it's fine. Just be happy with what you do. Do it because you love it. Yeah. Don't measure yourself with numbers. Like, Don't put your, your, your self-worth and your validation by number of followers you have. That means nothing, actually. It's you yourself. You know, you and yourself before your Lord, before Allah, as an ordinary human being. So do your best. Do it because you love it. I, I would give them the advice that if possible, don't do it as a living because I think it's it's really difficult to be a public personality yeah. and that's all you do. Like if you have something else in your life, it's it's much better to have a balance, you know? Yeah. That's why we don't pay any attention to a meager number of followers online. <laughs> I see it so often, like I was with, uh, I was with, I was at a school just about three weeks ago and these kids came up to me, they first thing they said, oh, how many followers you have? I said, well, normally I have about four. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, yeah, I jump in the car and then like <laughs> my boys are always with me. Like they're just following me around. So they said, no, that's not what we mean. We mean like followers online. I was like, that's not important. Yeah. It's not important. Actually, if you just think about the word following, like followers, if you on the, like the wrong path or on a flawed path or 
you're doing something wrong. Do you really want to take the responsibility of those following you? You know, yeah, and Allah will hold you accountable, you know? So I think just, yeah, don't validate yourself. And I, and I know it's easy. It's easy. It's easy to say. Yeah. It's much harder to divorce yourself from all of the madness around you, but really try to stay true to what you're doing. And Alhamdulillah, you know, in whatever sphere, it doesn't matter. Like you guys are doing it in this form of media. There are people who are doing it in poetry or videos or whatever. Just try to stay true to yourself. Inshallah. Yeah. So we're going to move on to our not so quick fire round. And I'll start off with the first question, Zain. What's your favorite thing to do to relax and de-stress? My favorite thing to do definitely would be stay at home with my boys. I've only got boys, so they keep me busy. We've got a small little football patch outside, so we normally play in the garden. I love that. I love spending time with my family. I think that's my all-time favorite. That, and then, yes, watching movies, you know, just trying to relax. Watching soccer. I'm a big soccer fan, so, you know, my, my team's not doing too well at the moment. But Who's your team? Manchester United. <laughs> join, join the club oh, hey. Let's not dwell on that too much <laughs> We can mourn offline <laughs> As long as Liverpool don't win the league We're fine Oh, <laughs> You know you don't hear the end of it If these Liverpool guys I mean now they won the Champions League So now yeah All my, my Liverpool supporters are, are killing me at the moment But they haven't won the league So it's fine Um, okay so the next this is why it's called not so quick fire because it's never quick we always start dwelling on it um so what's your favorite city that you've been to you travel to besides like at home oh it could be home as well um well, to relax is definitely in South Africa. There's a place on the coast called Durban. Uh, Cape Town generally also is beautiful. So I would choose between Cape Town and Durban like to relax, you know. Nice. Um, place place to that I performed at or visited or just was remarkable would be Ivory Coast, where I, where I lost my voice. <laughs> Not for that reason, but just the people were just so remarkable. I love it. Just wow. in, it it's in West Africa. They've been through so much struggle, but I just love the people there. So, yeah, those, those were the cities that, you know, that Cote d'Ivoire, that, comes to mind inshallah oh, nice yeah alhamdulillah well, South Africa is on my list inshallah well if you do come then you got to come to Cape Town Johannesburg you can skip that's where I'm based uh, not much to see here but Cape Town you got to go there <laughs> the next question is what's something that you have bought that makes you think what have I been doing all these years without it a Mac I guess a Mac I, I was always on a PC and then I bought a, I started using Mac a couple of years ago and man I can't go back now like it's really <laughs> difficult like sometimes I'm at work and like someone's using a PC and I just think oh gosh like I, yeah. and I know it's, it's so much more expensive but yeah I love working on a Mac and then yeah and then this little speaker that my 11 year old son just came to do this podcast I must say it's holding up pretty well yeah so. it saved you <laughs> poor kid not not able to play his Fortnite though you took away his mic I know the Fortnite the Fortnite fiasco has to has to stop for a while. <laughs> um, so, and the final of our quickfire questions: something you can do, but many people know you cannot do. Um, so one of the things that I love to do that not many people know is in South Africa, we have uh, something called making a braai, like kind of like a barbecue. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. like something that I absolutely love. So you buy a whole lot of meat and then you marinate the meat and then you make a nice fire, either wood fire or coal fire, but I prefer making a wood fire and then you braai the meat and then you, as a family. So I just had it like on Friday night wow. and I had like a whole lot of people coming. So yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm good at it. I think so. People have told me so, but I, I love, I love doing that. And it's so, it's so therapeutic because it's just like, I guess, cooking or gardening. People just say it's, it can be very therapeutic. Taking it back to nature, isn't it? Exactly. And you're on the outdoors. Yeah. So, and you're outside. So it's, it's something that I love to do. Yeah. Here in Oman, during the winter months, we do quite a lot of camping and outdoor activities. One of the best tips I got was from a South African guy in terms of, you know, his experience of using a braai. So we learned quite a lot of tricks from this, this South African person because of his experience of braai, the whole concept of the braai. Yes, yes. So inshallah, if you're invited, if you come to South Africa and visit me, inshallah, I'll, I'll, I'll make a braai for you. Book my tickets, Foz. Let's go, Anis. <laughs> Our first one for the trip. <laughs> for some braai. <laughs> Paid for by Foz. <laughs> if you tie it into Ramadan, you know, our Ramadans at the moment are in our winter, so the days are short, not compared to many parts of the world, so... Yeah, discount. <laughs> So, Zain, what's next for you? What projects do you have lined up in the future? Well, at the moment, um, it's 25 years, alhamdulillah. So we're working on a, on a 25th anniversary album and lyric book where, you know, people can sing along. So we're busy trying to work out that list. Nice. Over the last few years, because of the popularity of some of the children's songs, we've created this brand called ZB Kids. And we're doing a lot more animation and 
children's songs and I really feel that there's a lot of opportunities to get young kids to sing along using of course animation or live action videos and put it on YouTube so ZB Kids I really want to focus a lot more on that get kids to sing as well because I think kids love to listen to other kids singing as well so that's good and then inshallah you know just try to do some concerts as well in especially places that I haven't been in a long time I haven't been to Australia in a long time I haven't been to New Zealand ever I would love to go to Indonesia and Malaysia again so inshallah yeah so just doing some touring focusing on the on the kids projects on the 25th anniversary as well as just carry on doing the school visits you know which I which I love to do so just keep going with what I've been blessed to be able to do but also the things that I love to do you had a post recently on your 25th anniversary and you asked your listeners or your fans about what was your best tracks and uh, some of the songs in there I agree with but there was one in there that I was telling Foz that there's one I really like but didn't didn't make it it's one of your lesser known ones it's called Nabi on Nabi oh yeah that is that is old school <laughs> yeah it's old old school I don't even think it's 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 available online anymore like it's one of the songs I did in the 1997 or 1998 so the fact that you you listen to it shows that you Thank you for supporting me all these years. <laughs> but yeah, actually, it's it's one of my favorite songs that I, I used to sing because it's a, it's a very, very traditional Arabic song and I absolutely love it. I guess the reason why I never released it properly is because I always feel like, you know, when you sing in Arabic or in Urdu, like there's such a beautiful art to it and I never felt I did it justice. Mm. You know, like I should just stick to English. But uh Maybe inshallah, I, I should. I thank you for telling me this. I think I'm going to think about re-releasing that song, uh, even if it's just for you, Anis. Alhamdulillah, yeah, I would appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Oh, that's cool. So, where can people find you? Uh, well, uh, you know, the best place is I am on social media, Zainbika or Zainbika Official on Instagram and Facebook. My website, uh, www.zainbika.com. To be honest, I'm I'm quite accessible. I mean, I have people who assist me with my social media and who assist me with my just managing my studio. But um, yeah, I'm, I'd love to get feedback from everyone and I love to hear um, recommendations or anything that um, will ins- continue to inspire us. So yeah, please stay in touch. We have one final question for you before we let you go, Zain. The question is, what do you want to be remembered for? Wow, that's a, that's a very good question. I think, you know, songs are such a wonderful thing because someone told me that songs remind us of who we are and where we came from. Because when you listen to a song, it can take you right back to when you first heard it or make you remember something. So I would love to be remembered as someone who sang some good songs and told good stories and were a part of someone's life, you know. People take ownership of songs, whether they sing it to their kids at night or whether they're singing along in their cars or, you know, in their, on their iPods or whatever the case may be. Just someone who, who made some good songs and made them smile and inspired them, inshallah. Inshallah. That's a great, great answer. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the show. You know, I think there's been so much great advice and it's been great talking to you. It's been amazing hearing your background, you know, where it all started, the inspiration, the motivation. You know, I myself have taken so many lessons away from this already. So Jazakallah and thank you so much for your time. And we'll be looking out for all the things that you're doing for your 25th anniversary and we'll support however we can. Jazakallah. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Jazakallah khair. Keep up the excellent work you guys are doing. Keep inspiring people around the world. And Jazakallah khair once again for having me on the show. Hey, before you hit the stop button, if you like this episode, why not head over to our podcast page at onefootinthesync.com or wherever you get your podcast from and listen to our past episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast. We're on Apple, Android and Spotify. Thanks for listening. If you like the episode, make sure you leave us a review or get in touch with us at info at onefootinthesync.com. I'm Foz. And I'm Anise. And you've been listening to One Foot in the Sync podcast.